to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Moore, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, March 29th, 2015, on the basis of Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 through 25. Every generation has its own rendition, but it's really just the same song, sung over and over and over again throughout the years. For the kids in the room or for people who grew up when I did, their version of the song might sound something like this. No one's saying, do this. No one's saying, be there. No one's saying, stop that. No one's saying, see here. Free to run around all day. Free to do it all my way. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Do you remember when Simba sang that song in The Lion King? Did part of you want to sing along with him? For those of you who might be a little bit older, maybe your version of the song sounded more like this. As I'd click my heel, all the trees would kneel, all the mountains bow and the bulls kowtow. Every rabbit would show respect to me, every chipmunk genuflect to me if I were the king of the forest. Do you remember when the cowardly lion sang that song in The Wizard of Oz? Did part of you want to sing along with him? Of course, this generation has its own version of that same song, and the next generation will have its version as well, because deep down there's a part of all of us that feels exactly the same way. It sure would be good to be the king, to call all of the shots, to bark out orders, to get everything exactly our way, whether that's in the entire universe, on our entire planet, in our country, or even just in our own lives, wouldn't it be nice to be completely in charge? So if you were, what kind of king do you think you would be? Maybe we don't spend a whole lot of time thinking that way. We don't draft up our own foreign policy statement. We don't write up our economic stimulus package because we know deep down that that's never going to be the case, right? We'll never be able to call all of the shots. But we do have the next best thing, don't we? We know who is in control. We know who is in charge. We know that he's on our side. And we know that we always have his ear whenever we want it. And so we do spend a lot of time thinking about and maybe even a lot of time telling him the kind of king he should be. And if we do that, I would guess that most of us would describe the kind of king that is talked about in this chapter from Isaiah. These verses that we're looking at today follow very closely on the heels of the ones that we looked at last week. And so just by way of review, here's sort of the immediate context. God had already told his people that exile was inevitable. They could absolutely bank on invasion, destruction, and deportation at the hands of the neighboring nation of Babylon. But they could also bank on God's deliverance. God would remember them. God would bring them back. And in this chapter from Isaiah, God gets very specific about that. He says that he's going to raise up 
a king by the name of Cyrus, someone that no one had ever heard of before. He was going to raise up King Cyrus over a nation called Persia, a nation that wasn't even a blip on the map at this point. And God was going to use Cyrus, king of Persia, to defeat Babylon, set God's people free, and let them come back to their home in the promised land. In other words, God's enemies would be put to shame. God's people would be vindicated, all because the king of Babylon wasn't in control. Cyrus, king of Persia, wasn't even in control. God, the king of all creation, was in control. Today, God has handed all of that power, all of that authority, all of that responsibility to his son, our king, Jesus Christ. And when we think about that, I would guess that most of us would hope that the rule of King Jesus would be a little bit like father, like son. Right? We want Jesus to rule this same way. God's enemies are always put to shame. God's people are always vindicated. But of course, if those are our expectations for King Jesus, it doesn't take too long before we are easily disappointed. It doesn't take a PhD in sociology to look around at the world around us and realize that that is not what is going on. This past week, I happened to watch a video of a debate that involved a man by the name of Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is a professor at the University of North Carolina, and he's probably the most outspoken and influential critic of Christianity in our country today. Ironically, Bart Ehrman used to be a Christian pastor. But what turned him off, what turned him around, what caused him to leave his faith behind is that King Jesus wasn't ruling Bart Ehrman's life the way that Bart thought that he should. Jesus wasn't ruling the universe the way that Bart Ehrman thought that he should. And so now Bart Ehrman goes around giving lectures, writing books, giving presentations that question the identity of Jesus that question the reliability of the accounts of his life in the Bible, that, that turn people away from the truth of the Christian faith. And what does Bart Ehrman get for all of this that he does? Quite a bit of fame and no small amount of fortune. Does that strike you as backwards? Does that cause you to be a little bit disappointed with the way that Jesus is running things these days? Of course, we could all think of examples that are much more painful and much closer to home. But you know, as we look at these verses from Isaiah and as we think about this Palm Sunday happening and event, we even go a step further than that. Not only is Jesus often not the king that we would expect him to be, he's actually the exact opposite. He's the kind of king that rides into his capital city to do battle with his enemies riding on a donkey. Not a mighty war horse, not an iron chariot, a lowly beast of burden. He's the kind of king that is accompanied by this ragtag group of disciples, most of whom were fishermen. Not an army of mighty warriors, not a, an army of well-trained soldiers, but, but 12 guys fishermen. He's the kind of king who is acclaimed 
as he enters Jerusalem by, by the crowds of pilgrims who were there and by children. Not the wealthy, not the elite, not the educated in that society, but, but the out-of-towners and the young ones, the people who don't know any better. That's the kind of king our Savior Jesus is, and not even just on Palm Sunday. He's still that kind of king today. He's the kind of king who says things like Isaiah records here. The king says to the people of the world, Turn to me and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. As this king tries to win followers, he doesn't use his strength, he doesn't use his might, he doesn't use his majesty. No, he simply extends a very gentle, very quiet invitation and plea. Does that sound very kingly to you? Please follow me, pretty, pretty, please, I'm begging you. I promise I'll save you, really, I will. I'm the only true God, just, just trust in what I'm saying. Doesn't a king have the right to demand loyalty from his subjects, if not force it? And because Jesus isn't that kind of king, not only is it easy for us at times to be disappointed with him, it's also easy for us to ignore him. You see, we might get upset about all the evil that's going on out there in the world today, but let me ask you this. If God's word becomes less and less and less of a priority in our lives, is King Jesus going to stop that? If our work, our recreation, all of our kids' activities become more important than worship and Bible study and family devotions? Is King Jesus going to force us to change? If we deliberately choose to take our lives down a path that we know is sinful, is King Jesus going to stand there with tanks and guns and cause us to turn around? If we hoard all of our wealth, all of the wealth that he gives us to use only for selfish purposes instead of instead of generously helping in his kingdom? Is he going to start taxing us? Is he going to send down his heavenly IRS agents to make a collection? If none of the people on whose doors we knocked yesterday, inviting to join us for Easter worship, if none of them come, is King Jesus going to go beat down those doors and drag them here? You know the answer, right? That's not the kind of king Jesus is. He's the kind of king who rides into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. He's the kind of king who wins the loyalty of his followers, not by force, but with a quiet, gentle plea. And as a result, it, it is very easy for us to be disappointed with him, and it's very easy for us at times to just ignore him. But you know, it's not always going to be that way. Isaiah tells us that eventually King Jesus is going to be exactly the kind of king that we would probably expect him to be. You see, immediately following that quiet, gentle plea to turn to him and be saved, the Lord says this, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me Every tongue will swear. 
That sounds more like it, doesn't it? No more begging, no more pleading. The Lord simply states what will happen. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess him as Lord. The time will come when following and worshiping King Jesus will no longer be optional. But here's the thing. When that day comes, for all too many, it will be by force. And as a result, for all too many, it will be too late. For all too many, that admission that Jesus is king will come from a heart filled with dread. And it will come followed by an eternal banishment, an eternal exile in the dungeon of hell. As Isaiah says, those who are forced to bow down to King Jesus on that day, those who come on that day, it says, all who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. So yes, Jesus could be that kind of king, the king who forces worship at any given moment. But of course, he doesn't want people to be put to shame. He doesn't want people to be banished from him forever. And so Jesus will come and do this on the very last day and not a moment sooner. And in the meantime, that's exactly why, for now, He's the kind of king that he is. The kind of king that rides in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Not only is it very humble and unimpressive, but he is walking right into the hands of his enemies. He knows exactly what they have intended for him. He knows exactly what lies ahead later in the week. He knows that he'll be arrested, tried, sentenced, crucified, and killed. And yet, as the writer to the Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, also that he could pay for your sins. And that's also exactly the reason why Jesus still comes to you the way that he does today. He could force you to fall in line and fall down and worship, but instead he simply extends that gentle, kind invitation in the gospel, his word and his sacraments. He simply invites you and promises you, turn to me and be saved. For I am God and there is no other. Sure, he could drive people to their knees. He could drive people to worship, but by then it would be too late. And so instead, in the meantime, he uses his gospel to draw people to him, to willingly give them their worship. And unlike those who are driven by force to bow down and worship King Jesus, who will only be put to shame in the end, Isaiah tells us that those who are drawn to worship him will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. So no, Jesus often isn't the kind of king that maybe we'd expect him to be. But he is exactly the kind king, the gentle king that we so desperately need him to be. Just how kind is he, you might ask? Well, like I said, long before there was Simba, long before there was the cowardly lion, the people of Prussia, a region up in northern Germany, had a version of that song all their own. 
Now, my German isn't very good, but it sounded something like this. Wenn ich der König von Preußen war, if only I were king in Prussia. And as those Prussians thought about their ideal king, they had all kinds of interesting kings, interesting characters to pick from in their history. For example, a king by the name of Frederick William. He was known as the soldier king. He centralized power. He strengthened the military. His rule was absolute, rigid, and ruthless. In fact, his son, at a very young age, tried to flee the country with one of his friends. And when they were caught at the border, they were hauled back to the capital. That friend was beheaded, and his son was forced to stand and watch. Now, needless to say, when that son grew up and took the throne himself, it wasn't going to be like father, like son. His son wanted to be known as a philosopher king, someone who brought new ways of thinking into the country, someone who allowed the free exchange of ideas within his court, someone who encouraged things like art and music, not military strength. So two kings, father, son, as different as night and day, which one do you think more closely resembles King Jesus? I suppose we could say a little bit of both. On the last day, Jesus will use his power to force everyone to worship him and acknowledge him as king. In the meantime, he extends that gentle plea in the gospel to draw people to worship him willingly. I suppose you could say a little bit of both, but, but I think it would be more accurate to say neither one. Because you see, whether or not it's by his power or whether it's by his pleading, Jesus actually has something in mind for us in his kingdom that no king would ever do. Jesus is our king. The Bible says that over and over again. But did you know that the Bible never really speaks about us, God's people, as being the king's subjects? No, in fact, in contrast to that, the Bible speaks about Jesus being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The spot that Jesus wants for you in his kingdom is not that of subject or servant. He wants you to have the spot of fellow king. He shares with you all of his glory. He shares with you all of his honor. He shares with you his wealth and looks forward to sharing with you his inheritance. Not the kind of king we would expect him to be, but I think you would agree. It's good to have a king like that. And it's good to be a king with him. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.